A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. You're listening to 87.1 Caroline Radio, KCGM Bakersfield, your home for all your variety hits. And of course, Blind Advocate Radio. Hey, everybody. Good evening. How are you? I'm glad you had a good week. So tonight I am joined by someone, and just just a moment ago, he and I were, were laughing as two podcasters would, to tell you the truth, listener, that... <clears throat> We aren't entirely sure what our specific topic was, but we know that you at home are going to help us figure it out by asking good questions as we have a conversation. And we know that Mr. Williams, Wilbert Williams from beautiful Jamaica, is going to walk us through basically uh, his journey in podcasting. And I think that is where we share uh, a lot of interests. Mr. Williams, pleasure to have you on Aaron's Opinion and a very good evening to you. How are you? Go right ahead. I am good, thank you very much, and thanks for inviting me in. My pleasure. Uh, yes. We, we first met when um, we were on a chat and we discovered that both both of us are involved in podcasting. I have been doing it now for a year. I have been, just over a year, I have been producing a podcast called uh, Vision Scope, which deals with providing information um, to, and when we started out, the, the information was really being provided to Caribbean listeners and informing Caribbean people about uh, disabilities and you know issues confronting people with disabilities. Then we discovered that you know there is a need for this kind of discussion in the wider population. So we have gone as far as we can. We have gone worldwide. And we have been distributing the podcasts to um, several feeds in the hope that it will get around the world. Currently, we have 3,000 listeners, which is not bad for a podcast, which, is, which has been going only a year. And um, with, you know, a defined theme like, like ours. So that's how it started. And I was interested in also learning that Aaron's opinion is a weekly and that you do a podcast on, I discover all types of topics and that makes it even more interesting. So that, that's how we met Aaron, I think. Great. Thank you for that. You know, I, and I have a question. When you, when you started out your podcast, Vision Scope, uh, a, place, a Place to Learn, as you call it, um, <clears throat> you know, why, why did you say, I mean, it's just kind of interesting. Why did you say that it was at first a podcast only, only for the Caribbean? Re reason asking, or reason being, when I opened Aaron's Opinion, I saw it as a podcast for the world, uh, no particular country. Uh, what what specifically makes you say that it was at first a podcast just for the Caribbean? Because today, podcasting is kind of a it's kind of a universal platform. There's no real nationality to it, really. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't have much of a clue about podcasting. I knew that Anchor provided this platform, mm -hmm. and and I had a life story that I wanted to to tell. As a matter of fact, initially, I wanted to write a book oh. on my life. But oh, I decided well, that writing but, a book would be so expensive. Ah, but no, it's not. No, but Mr. Williams, Mr. Williams. So I did Aaron's it as a series. Oh, 
oh well well you see i every every guest i have and i would love a guest like you to take me up on the offer almost yeah. every guest i have has been wanting to publish a book yes. and and me at aaron's aaron's opinion we want to welcome you to the idea mm -hmm. of coming here and reading your book for us on my podcast i would be really really pleased um to help you to do that to help you to you know read your book on this podcast as kind of a audio bookish podcast thing yes. I think that would be a really fun series yes. and so yes yeah so initially initially i started out the podcast as t by telling my life story so it was kind of like a life story series and it, that ran for about nine months hmm. uh, and the, the original programs were extremely short. You know, when you first start out, you, you kind of, you're afraid to go too deep. So they ran for six or seven minutes, then they gradually increased. <laughs> and now we are up to, I think this week's episode when it's published will be about 47 minutes. So, but but now we have moved away from the life story because I think I have told all that I could remember of my life story. And I am now doing interviews and getting other people to tap into the program and to tell their story. And I'm finding it very interesting because their stories and now verifying my story and issues that I raised, they are also raising. So it has become a very, it's almost like a network. Definitely. So would you like to tell us one of your life stories or a really interesting story or a story that really defines? You want me to go back to the, to the beginning and tell you, I, which I can. Sure. I would love that. I would love yes. that. A particularly educational story, a particularly yes. powerful one, sure. or of course, yes. a particularly entertaining one, because it should also be very inspirational yes. and entertaining. Go right ahead. Sure. Okay. Well, I was born in 1940. And it was during the time that World War II was in progress. Of course, uh, in 1940, I would not have known anything about World War II. But as you grow and you, you, you read the history, you realize. And I had the privilege of starting school when I was six years old. And I started school at the Salvation Army School for the Blind, which was then the only school for the blind in Jamaica and still is the only school for the blind in Jamaica. Now, if we go back a little bit in time, the school for the blind was started in 1927 because two Salvation Army officers were sent from England to work in Jamaica. And they, they arrived here. One of them had a sister who was blind and she was educated in England. And so I think that motivated them to want to do something for blind people in Jamaica. And they started the school back in 1927. So of course, by the time I started school in 1940, it was still in its infancy. Fledg fledgling kind of a situation. Now in those days, School for the Blind was really uh, built around teaching people who are blind to learn Braille, to read and write Braille, and also to do handicraft, you know, basket making, chair caning, that kind of thing. There was not, not much more expectation, in my opinion, when I, when I look at that early kind of work. When I came to school, just on a point of interest, there were two systems, two competing systems in school. 
One was Braille and the other one was Moon. I don't know if you ever experienced it, Aaron. Moon, Moon is a system which allowed people to write, but not to read, but not to write. I think writing was extremely cumbersome. Um, and the Moon system, unlike Braille, was based on um, letters that were sort of squished up to become very small. And so they, they embossed those letters on the page and people could read that way. Well, that was not very good. So I started out in school at a time when um, they didn't have qualified teachers in work for the blind. You, 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 you came up through the school system and you seemed to be good enough and alert enough and you were given a job as a teacher. And ironically enough, we didn't learn very much about Jamaica. The training was more about European history. And, well, there was a good religious education, of course. We did some maths. And at the time of entering school, the maths program centered around the Taylor frame. I don't. I don't even know if many blind people today would know what the Taylor frame is. But the Taylor frame um, had a series of holes and you would insert lead types into those holes and based on how you position the type, you would get different um, numbers. So we went through school like that. and. Things continued. We did, we did music, we did drama. But when I look back, there was not much of a future then. Now, in 1955, things began to change when a new set of Salvation Army officers arrived. Because, you know, between the starting of the school, of course, and 1955, they would have had many changes because officers changed every two years. So you can understand that many managers passed through the school for the blind. But in 1955, a couple came to the school sent by the Salvation Army and they started to make changes. Now, you have to realize that in the early days, education and rehabilitation in general for blind and or people with any other form of disabilities was built around the, the institutional setting, the care setting. So, in fact, the, the early school for the blind in Jamaica was called the Institute for the Blind. And that institute had, by the time I got to school, children and adults. Now, when the new managers came, they decided that this was not a good arrangement. And so, after a couple of years, they separated out the school from, from the adults. So this, the Institute for the Blind was really now at an end. And we got the school, the Salvation Army School for the Blind. And then on the other side, we had the workshops for the blind. And the workshops moved out of the school premises and went to a different location. Also, eventually, they brought in a teacher who was trained in a regular school system. She had no idea of special education, but she was a trained teacher, certified teacher. And so she came to the school and 
got us involved in national exams, which we did very well in, in those national exams. And four of us sat and passed all levels of the exams and were certified. And two of us obtained scholarships to go to a, a regular school. And that in itself was historic because that had never happened before in Jamaica. So I was one of those who went to a regular high school and had the privilege of, you know, being in the classes, um, interacting with my sighted peers. Although by that time they were a little younger than I was, but at least I got that opportunity and I managed by typing the work for the teachers on a regular standard typewriter, which I could use, I could type, but I couldn't read it back, which was sometimes very annoying because sometimes you made mistakes and you would really love to go back over your work, but if you typed it, you have typed it. Anyway, we continued and I did a lot of note-taking in Braille. And in those days, we had what we call the Stainsby Braille. And the Stainsby Braille was very clunky and very noisy. Well, of course, you know, in Work for the Blind, later the Stainsby Braille gave way to the Perkins Braille. Stainsby was an English contraption. And I think most of us know the Perkins. And that was a major change. So we, we had a cupboard at school where we could lock our stuff in at the end of the day. And the next day we could retrieve them and do our work. So that saved us having to cut, you know, heavy books and brain writing equipment and so backwards and forwards to and from school. We didn't have to do that. And we went through that process and eventually graduated and I got a scholarship to study physiotherapy in London. And so I went to the Royal National Institute for the Blind, which ran the school at that time. Um, the school is now closed and all blind persons who wish to study physiotherapy must go through one of the regular um, training processes to be certified. But in those days, the RNIB ran the program, which was a very successful program. And it took in persons from all over the world. So in my class, we had people from South Africa. We had uh, one Nigerian and um, somebody from New Zealand and I think someone from Australia and myself as a Jamaican and a, a number of English persons. Now, while I was in England, that opened up a lot of opportunity for me. So I went visiting, made new friends, went all over the country, um, went on a couple trips to Switzerland, you know, as a, as a student. There was one incident where I booked into a hotel in Switzerland, way up in the mountains, in a place called Spinas. And that little hotel catered to blind people, but there was one stipulation that you needed to bring your own sighted guide. Now, I didn't have a sighted guide to bring at that time, but I decided that I wanted to go on the trip. So I went on the trip and went up into the mountains. And when I got there to register, 
the lady said to me, um, but where's your sighted guide? And I said, I don't have any. She said, it's going to be difficult for us, you know, to really take you in. But fortunately for me, there was a, a lady nearby, a Swiss lady, and her daughter was also going to check in to stay at the hotel. And she said, I will be his guide. So right away, I met a, a, a Swiss lady who became my very good friend. And so we had an excellent time at Spinas and she acted as guide for both of us. And that worked out to be a fascinating experience and one which I'll never forget. Um, her daughter was very good at playing the piano and singing. And so in the evenings, we had a very good relationship because she loved a lot of the music that I love and enjoy. I found teachers at the Royal National Institute for the Blind. I found them to be very professional. Some of them were blind, some were not, but they were very professional and they were extremely helpful. What I had a difficulty with was the attitude of a lot of the, the patients who we had to treat in those hospitals. Um, they objected to some extent when you tried to discharge them because of the workman's compensation program. They, they didn't feel that people from outside of Britain should come and dictate to them when they should go home and not get the benefits and all this kind of thing. And um, they used to use the blind students a lot to decide whether people were faking or they were really re not recovering fast enough. Because some people, when they come in sight of the hospital workers, they would start limping. But when they're leaving or so, they would, you know, be more normal in their approach. And um, they used to use the blind students a lot, advantage points, to listen out for these people as they walk out of the compound to find out if they were really walking properly or they were still faking because they would fake when they're coming in. But when they're leaving, of course, and they, they felt that they were not being observed, that would change. So that is just some of the, the things that, um, you know, I found interesting. So I don't know if you have any questions at this point, Aaron. Anything of, you want to ask? Of, yes, of course. All of that. All of that. Okay. All, all, all of it is is interesting. Yes. Um, let's kind of rewind, rewind a little bit. You know, as I mentioned to you in, in past, um, I volunteered at the St. Lucia Blind Welfare Association. And yes. I, I, I recall, and, and talking to you, having this conversation, although... Um, although I've never been to Jamaica and Lucians say that, well, Lucians told me that Jamaica is like a totally different country from Lucia. It's way yeah. more, way much, you know, busier, big, bigger, built up, way, way yes. more built up than, than Lucia. Um, yes. What really sounded vaguely familiar was when you were speaking about, uh, you know, how back in the 40s and early 50s, how blind people were really not expected to do much. Well, I, I think it's true what what you said was was 100 percent true i also think that today a lot of times blind people that i've encountered um do not have very high expectations in 2020 yeah quite right uh, and and your your story was was true it was i am i am only 28 years old um i i live with my parents and many of my uh extended family are are elderly uh, but I have, outside of my teaching work and activities like that, I have very uh, 
much of it, you know, obviously part of it is because of my blindness, but the other huge part is um, for now for for personal reasons, I have to say that I live in an undisclosed location. That's a totally, yeah. it's, it's a long, it's a long, that's a, that's a whole nother episode about why I say that. Yeah. Um, but um, I live in an agricultural community and there are not other people around me who are my age. So, you know, in life, as I'm sure you would agree, sometimes you just have to do the best you can. So now I'm oh, yes. living, living with my parents, mm. uh, my brother, uh, my extremely, uh, extremely old and sweet and very, very, very sick and retired guide dog. Uh, yeah. She's at, she's in the winter of her life. She's at the end of her life. Um, and I, you know, my, I, I have my teaching job all day online. And then I got into podcasting well, because I really felt that there, that there was kind of a void in podcasting as far as, you know, blind people finding a podcast where they can just come up to me and just have a conversation where we're just really relaxed and just, talk about whatever, just go with the flow and just have a nice conversation about some really, really fascinating things. Yeah. Everything you've said so far is fascinating. And the part about back to the school mm -hmm. and then I'll, I'll move it forward back to the, the school issue where they would only have you doing, um, you know, basket weaving and, and all types of um, menial as to, to today, it would, it would not be uh, appropriate today. But I do remember that at the St. Lucia Blind Welfare Association, you know, you go in, I'm sure it's similar to some of the buildings in Jamaica. You go in, it's kind of like one level. And then in, in the basement, um, they have a, a basically a factory that makes mops and brooms. That's, that's right. That's and, the kind of concept. Right. And, and I, I, I recall that and the blind people there, they, they showed me, they pointed it out. They said, Aaron, this is the knife we use to cut the wood and here's how you make a mop. And then I, they showed me the whole line and they box the mops and then sell the mops. And it's a fundraiser for their welfare association. It's a big business. And yes. uh, I don't know. In America, we have we have mops, mops, but we call them vacuum cleaners. But yes. in other in other parts of the world, um, the, especially when you're trying to save electricity, which is what that's about in the Caribbean, uh, you use mops and you use more, uh, you know, more hand tools like that, more handicrafts well, and hand tools. Indeed. Yeah. Well, even here, that is changing because now you have a lot of vacuum cleaners and oh, good. Uh, and. Uh, Electrical gadgets are are really plentiful now. So, but you still you still need your mops, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the the problem is that there was not much to offer right. in those early days beyond that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, but now we have people who are graduating as teachers. We have telephone operators, we have administrators. Uh, so it's a vastly different experience to what existed when I went to school. Yeah. No. Oh, did, oh, definitely. Without, without doubt. Without doubt. I was speaking to li li listeners. I've mentioned her. I've mentioned her a lot. She's one of my podcast friends out there in the podcast world. Culture Rama with Diva. You know her. Um, oh, I know Diva very well. And, and me as well. And mm. she was saying on my, on my podcast, we've been on each other's shows, but it was a very mm. long time ago before the radio station came into it. Mm. And she was saying how, yes, yeah, she, she, even in Jamaica today, blind people still have a hard time getting through university and just finding the opportunities. And I think it's, I think it's very sad. And I think it, it, it concerns me a lot actually um, as a successful American, because I'm, I'm concerned that we are, society is progressing at a very rapid rate, very out of control rate, if I might add. And I find that blind people around the world simply in my, in my humblest opinion are just, some of them are just not catching up and it's not their fault, but I'm still concerned that there's this gap that really doesn't need to be there. We have about a minute before the break, go ahead. You know, one of the things we need to look at is employment opportunities. People in the university, it's easy to get into universities in Jamaica these days, I would say, once you have the qualifications. Good. But it, what becomes difficult is when you qualify, 
to get a job later. That is where mm -hmm. the, the major problem exists. Sounds sounds like sounds like the problem in America too. That sounds that sounded that's that's exactly basically how it works in America. It's so if you take your if you take your problem and multiply it in Jamaica, you can right. understand. Yes. in a smaller space, how difficult it can in, be. In, indeed, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Aaron Richmond. He's Wilbert Williams. We're really glad to have him here on Aaron's Opinion. You're listening to the Aaron's Opinion podcast on Caroline Radio, Blind Advocate Radio. As we say, we'll be right back. This is the Aaron's Opinion Podcast on 87.1 Caroline Radio, KCGN Bakersfield, your home for all your variety hits, and of course, Blind Advocate Radio. Or if you aren't listening to us on the radio, no problem. We're on basically all of the podcast clients along with YouTube. Welcome back, listener. We're joined by a very, a very kind, a very educational and entertaining person, Mr. Wilbert Williams from Jamaica. He was just telling us before the break about these this whole problem where blind people and the problem, as I was saying, the problem is is still even in America, blind people have this problem where you can go to college and then you don't get a job. And I think that's a very serious problem. Yes, it is a serious problem. Um, I remember I went into a field where when I decided to go into that particular field, there was no blind Jamaican there before. That is physiotherapy. And I remember reading about it and going up to my um, principal at the time and saying, I think I would like to do this. And they went through the processes and eventually got me enrolled. That is how I got to England. And I was given a scholarship by the Jamaican government to study physiotherapy in, in London. So my, my whole career has been built around obtaining scholarships and bursary to get into where I want to go because my parents could not afford it, you know? And um, fortunately for me, I went to the University of the West Indies at a time when you, it was not very expensive to go to university. It's very costly these days. But when I got to university, um, I could work during the day and study in the evening. So I went on an evening program as a part-time student. And so I did my work. Now for me, I went, I had a good time in physiotherapy. I ended up participating in the opening up of the first school of physiotherapy in Jamaica, where I functioned as a part-time tutor for a number of years. And, and I also served right. as a right. clinical supervisor. Now, by, by the way, you've said physical therapy a couple of times. Can you tell us, especially our younger blind audience, anyone younger than 28, I actually come to think of it next month, I turn 29. So basically anyone who's younger than 29 might be a little, a little taken aback, a little confused. What, what is physical, what do you mean by physical therapy? I might know, but please explain. Yes, it's, it's treatment of an individual using um, physical mod modalities. For example, we would 
teach somebody to walk again and would take them through all the routine, you know, of using crutches or using a walking frame. Um, we would give them exercises to strengthen the legs. We would give exercises to strengthen the upper body. We would use hydrotherapy in some instances. Um, if they have a chest problem, we would do the suctioning, you know, getting all the fluid off the lungs and using physical means to, to, to help them to recover. So it's treatment using various physical modalities, whether it be physical exercises or electrical modalities or hydrotherapy or, or any of those physical means. So that's what it is. And that is why in the States, the profession is called physical therapy. In, in, in Britain and in Europe, it's physiotherapy, but it's one and the same. And, and that is how um, I started out. Now later, I branched off from that into becoming a manager of an agency a training agency for people with disabilities. Because up to that point, we didn't have any single agency that would, you know, encompass the needs of not only people who are blind, but people who are physically disabled or deaf or people with um, some level of mental retardation. So that is part of my journey. Now, that was a natural progression because when you work to rehabilitate people, you want to make sure that you can get them into some form of employment. And so that training center was designed out of activities from the International Year for the Disabled. I don't know if you can recall that, but in 1981, was designated the International Year for the Disabled all around I, the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able <laughs> no. to recall yes, since I yes. wasn't born yet. Yes, but <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yes, but um, I had the privilege of coordinating all the activities for that work in Jamaica. I was appointed by the Jamaican cabinet to to coordinate all the activities. And so one of the recommendations was the, the building of a center, a training center for people with disabilities. So that came into reality in 1994. And I managed it until my retirement in 2004. So that, that was a big experience. Now, another thing we spoke about earlier was um, work in the Caribbean. No, let me tell you, one of the big things we have in the Caribbean is trying to get Caribbean agencies to, to coordinate and to work together. They see themselves would as you, separate entities. You, okay, all right. Caribbean agencies. Now, this is uh, also a, slightly confusing for me. When I was in Lucia, um, I, I recall just from my experience in Lucia that we never talked about what was going on over on, on Kitts or Vincent or Jamaica oh, or, Trinidad. or Trinidad Tobago. So I'm, I'm a little confused that you say that because although we group the Caribbean together, if you're there and you learn from the local people, you, you live with a local community, a local family, which I did, you learn that every nation in the Caribbean is its own nation. And just like any other country, nobody worries about what's going on in, in going on in Trinidad if they're worried about what's going on in Lucia. So, what do you what do you mean by what do you mean by working together with these agencies? What do you mean there? That I didn't understand. Well, we we eventually formed a Caribbean Council for the Blind. Ah, indeed, you did. Yes. I forgot about that. You are correct. You did. Yeah, yes, and I was yes. I was their president. I was their president for a number of years. I, you know what? I remember that now because when I was in Lucia, I went to a Lions Club meeting, and the That's Lions, right. and it, well, Lions Club isn't CCB, but it was. 
basically a meeting of both of those agencies all at once. Lions Club yeah. is a Lions Club meeting and they yeah. discuss regional issues of the CCB. So actually I kind of go back and, and, and delete my point that I made. Actually in the Caribbean on sort of these, if you're participating within an international organization, a global one, then they talk about what goes on all over the region. But individ right. individually, the people yes. are just more concerned with their yes. individual life, just like anywhere. Yes. But yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, the Caribbean Council was for the blind, was formed out of an, an initiative mm -hmm. by the Royal Commonwealth Society for the Blind, as it was at that time. Later, it changed its name to Sight Savers. Hmm. And Sight Savers sent and paid an individual to come down and set up the Caribbean Council for the Blind back in the late 70s. And so we had a we still have a coordinated approach like in 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 eye care, I think the most outstanding area of the Caribbean Council for the Blind in its development has been in eye health. Definitely. And you know, eye health is very important. And we, we also felt that in most of the Caribbean region, the names given to the agencies stigmatized the agency. You know, because in Jamaica, we have the Jamaica Society for the Blind we have the St. Lucia Blind Welfare Association. We have the Trinidad and Tobago Blind Welfare Association. And it is hard to get people who are not blind to use the services in those agencies um, because of the stigma of blindness. Right, but if you're okay, but, maybe. But, but if you, if but you, you see, if, if you're you, blind, if you're blind, that's where you would want. Oh, I mean, yes. there, there's always yes. some. There's always stigma, but I don't yes. care that I don't care that I'm blind. I mean, no, always, to, to, to a, the blind person, it doesn't matter. Ah, okay. To okay, the so people for, who can see. Oh, all right, all right, Mr. Williams. I see. So you're saying that to the to the local community who is who happens to be sighted, you yes. were saying that it seemed stigmatizing of the blind community that lived there. Yes. I yes. never felt, okay, got it. Yes. I uh, understood. Yeah. I never felt that way. In fact, I felt a great, a great level of admiration and respect for oh, people that, in the Caribbean. It, and I never felt, yeah. I mean, the, you know, one, one person, okay. I mean, just like in any country, every once in a while you run into someone who's grouchy. You know, I, yes. I ran into one grouchy person in Lucia, but yeah. there's always a grouch. Every, every country, yeah. every country has one yes. You can't, you can't, you can't build a great country without one horrible no. person. It's just, but, it's just they, they, they but, the, but the point, the point is that you're right. Right. I mean, the, the, the point, the point is I never felt any disrespect there. In fact, I yeah. felt more respected there than I ever have in the United States, which is a problem. That's a problem all to itself, but no, I never felt any issues of stigma. And I felt that the sighted people um, who were work, who worked there, one, a very an elderly woman, a nice, nice Canadian lady. Um, she was always very kind, very, very, very sweet lady, always helping out. She did get a little, um, at times, maybe from an outsider perspective, I, she told me a lot that sometimes she gets a little frustrated with mm. just in, in the Caribbean, sometimes this whole, just the, the little stuff, like the little things, like this whole concept of time, you know, she tells people to come at a certain time and they don't. And you know, to people of North America, that's a form of, of being of being disrespectful. But 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 that is throughout the entire Caribbean, nation, the entire Caribbean. Right. Um, yeah. We don't necessarily have the same concept of time. No. Now, once you once you go to England, Britain, <laughs> and you're trained, your concept of time is different. <laughs> if you tell me seven o'clock. I am going to assume that I should be waiting on you at five to seven. Right. Because I'm going to assume that if five minutes after seven and I don't show, you don't want to see me again. Right. Because I'm late. You follow? Yes, so yes. Th that, that's the kind of concept. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but to go back to this old whole thing of stigma the stigma is not that they become disrespectful or afraid or anything of like that but they don't if you offer services that the general population can participate in some of them are a little reluctant i haven't done a survey i don't think anybody has done a survey so i can't say to you that this is x percentage or y percentage but what i do know is that there is a level of you know hesitancy now over time this can break down for example in jamaica we started at the jamaica society for the blind incidentally i served as their chairman also for a number of years um the jamaica society for the blind has started its its eye care program and has opened a clinic and increasingly we're finding that people are coming to the clinic simply because our cost is better than the public cost so they want to they want to take hold of the opportunity to get their eyes tested and get their glasses and all this sort of thing at you know a much more reasonable rate than they would outside and the other good thing is that lands have partnered with us you know the history of lands clubs that initially it started out as based on helen keller's um charge in 1927 Helen Keller charged lands to become Knights of the Blind. Now, Knights of the Blind in those days, under institutional care, the the rehab model then was institutional care. Was good because then the lands were protectors. But now I'm trying to get them to change that and to say. to the community that look we are partners with the blind so we don't we don't want we don't need protectors we need partners so you can if you're going to do something for me at least you need to sit down and consult with me to find out how I want it done and then together we will do it so that is the concept that i am trying to introduce incidentally i'm a lion i have been a lion now for well. over 40 years and me as well i joined yes. lionism at 18 yeah and you see it's good to be it's good to be a lion or good to be in the service organization you know why you can only influence an organization if you're inside right and i i keep telling the people in jamaica you need to get involved in in these agencies i don't care which one you choose but you need to get involved because if you're not inside you can't influence it right definitely so that 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 is how that is how things are um another interesting thing for me is that i participated in a service organization which existed for quite some time called partners of the americas now i don't know if you know much about partners of the americas but not. it was it was an initiative started by john kennedy president kennedy where he twinned parts of united states with countries of the caribbean and latin america so for example jamaica was twin to buffalo but of mm. course th- that had advantages for buffalo because you know buffalo is bitterly cold in the winter yeah so in the winter they had an opportunity to come down to jamaica and engage in service projects now right. jamaicans would never ever go to buffalo in the winter right <laughs> so in the summer the jamaicans went up and took advantage of 
training opportunities that existed. And I served as a, a member of Partners of the Americas with the Jamaican organization. And eventually I got a Partners Fellow because at that time a fellowship was running which took us throughout the Caribbean and Latin America and Brazil and parts of US to study international human relations and um, cultural exchanges and all that. It's a two-year fellowship. So that was also a very good training experience for me. And I had an opportunity to look at various agencies working in the disability field, you know, and so that to me, one, yes, we have. So we, those were some of the great experiences. Without doubt. We are in our final 10 minutes. Really good. Really amazing. All right. So um, basically, how are you? I mean, you've told me a lot of things that you've done in the past. Wonderful. How are you spending your time now? I do a lot of reading and I like to write. And I, of course, you know, the podcast consumes a lot of my time. My podcast is really not professionally done, I will admit. I didn't know anything about sound editing until I started this podcast. And then I, I decided in, or, in order to save some pennies, why not do your own editing? So I sat down and I learned Gold Wave. Um, and I made mistakes along the way. But I have some friends, two friends who are blind. Um, one, one is Patrick Lafayette. I don't know if you've heard of Patrick. Patrick runs his own radio station on the internet called Chris Mix Radio. Oh, well really? organized. Yeah, well organized station. Oh, oh okay. Well organized station. And, um, he used to work in Jamaican radio. He worked for a number of years with, um, with Radio Jamaica. Mm. And, and he worked with two other stations. So he has a wealth of experience. So when I have a problem, I just call him up. He's now, he's now living in Miami. But I call him up on the WhatsApp and we chat and he tells me what to do. And I have two good friends in Jamaica who are also into sound editing. Um, those two work with Diva to edit her program. She, she, she contracts out her editing. So I am relying strictly on content. Right. You know, and, by, and by the way, by the way, you you said something interesting. You you said that you felt that your podcast, Mr. Williams, was not edited very well and was perhaps not not as good as you would like. Well, you're well. I I will tell you my opinion of your podcast. It's excellent. Um, I have Thanks. I have I think I think it's perfect. I think it's fine. I also think it's important as a podcaster not to worry too much about the editing. I'm not terribly concerned with it. Um, because it's more important that you focus on improving on what you say and having better and better and better interviews and better and better conversations each time. And that alone is something that I have to practice, you know, muting my microphone, you know, le letting you talk for a while and then yes. going and figuring out over time that eventually a guest will slow down mm -hmm. and I can mm -hmm. get back in. But that takes, it's, you know, for you at home, who perhaps are not podcasters, you might think, oh, well, you just listen for the guests to slow down. Well, it's more to it than that. It's a little tricky. You have to listen very carefully. You have to listen for the-, the You have to know when to interject. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. It's, yeah, tricky. it's, I'm, it's I'm very not, tricky. I'm not, I am not perfect at it. And I try to work on Me that. neither. It's Me hard, neither. it's hard to tell. And you know what? You just have to go with the flow. If I, I've, I've interrupted at the wrong time and I just say, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Or you just, you just yes, have to say yes, like Yes, 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 it will happen. And it's, Sometimes. it's impossible. It's impossible mainly because we are not seeing each other. Um, it's impossible to to get that right perfectly. But I always try to now give guests a good, a good story to tell. You know, some of my, uh, yes. well, <laughs> oh boy, have you played my episode today? 
Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, done with- well, stra- well, strap in. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's oh, uh, maybe maybe you should listen to it in the morning. The topic is a bit uh, out of this world. Perhaps yeah. that age-old question about I'm giving you a bit of a spoiler about something about um, what happens when I die. So, ah, uh, so yes, the yes. it's a li- so it's not to be, uh, maybe maybe if you maybe if you crack open a red stripe and have some peanuts or something, it would go good. But but yeah. maybe but maybe maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe you should wait until the morning when you're feeling a little bit better because it's fascinating, it's beautiful, but then it's like, who that was that was that was a big meal to eat that was a big that was a big <laughs> meal to swallow um yeah. and it was and you know guests who who have come on who have talked and, and told these amazing these beautiful stories even the the adorable little thing about that young swiss lady helping you out i mean that that's yeah. so that's so swiss that's yeah. germans germans and swiss they have the reputation of being all oh mean. they're very helpful yes mean and, and unfriendly but i think it's completely un, undeserved and i think that germans well, along with we, we, from, we stereotype too quick. Yeah, we do. And along with people from the Caribbean who are mostly yes. incredibly kind, also very, very, very kind people are yes. Germans, Austrians, and Swiss. Incre- I, I would have a conversation with anyone from those. They're going to be so kind. And yes, are they a little bit more firmer, a little bit awkwardly stern at times? Yes, but they are also incredibly kind people. Uh, but you know, far, far as, kinder as a, than far kinder than and than an American. And yes, go ahead. Four minutes. As a blind person, sure. I don't know if you have had the the, the situation where you walk up to some something like a plant, and mm-hmm. you're standing beside it, and you think it's a person, and you're waiting for the bus, but you're actually standing next to a plant, but you're not touching it, but you feel the presence of something beside you. And you say to this plant, can you tell me when the next bus is coming? And the plant might not respond. Well, might, the plant won't respond. It might. I, I, I have to disappoint. It might not. <laughs> I have never. I have never. So, I mean, I have. Um, I have. I have glaucoma. Um, it's a bit of a long. Uh, well, if you go. If you go back into my archive on Aaron's opinion. Uh, if you scroll all the way down, if you want it later, just ask for it mm-hmm. later, and I'm more than happy to send it. When mm-hmm. I was talking to Diva, um, we I went into the whole story how I was born with glaucoma, cataracts in my eyes. My eyes have gone through seven different corneal transplants, mm-hmm. um, and now I have usable vision. Next question: What do I see? I don't know, but I have usable vision. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have enough vision to tell you know sometimes but i've walked into things awkwardly in front of other people that is very embarrassing and very frustrating but that's that's just that's just life um, but you know you you yes. you stand there beside the plant and buses come and buses go mm-hmm. and then you wonder why isn't this person responding and then you reach out with your white cane and touch mm-hmm. and that's when you find out that really is not a person right you know, okay. and this kind of thing will happen. Um, mm-hmm. Or you you go to meet a friend, and both of you are in this in this designated spot, but he's at one end and you are at the other end. And well, um, I've never I've never really met I've <laughs> never really you met are a there friend. for some time. I've never really met a identify. friend. See, I'm not I'm not outside of my podcasting. I'm not very friendly. So I've never met a friend. So I've never, I've never, <laughs> I've never had an end of a spot to stand on to have an end. But but I I am pleased that I'm pleased that you have though. I'm sure that those types of things will happen to me when oh, I yes. get older and oh, yes. start to get out more. Um, you know, the truth of it is. Uh, now I don't talk about this on the podcast, so I'll just have to improvise it a little. But because of the health situation this year. Yeah. We, my family and I, we've had to stay in this year. We we had vacations planned where we're going to go to Europe. We were going to do a lot more this year, but this is just going to have to be a sit at home and get work done and do podcasting year. So, and, and the last, the last one I want to share with you. Sure, you have about is, a minute. Is that um, I remember being in Trinidad, mm-hmm. and we were walking with a group of us were walking, and one of my friends suddenly disappeared down a ditch. Oh my goodness. It, he was being guided, you know, but he was on the inside. 
and um, he fell down the ditch. No, he wasn't. And maybe he wasn't being guided very well then. If the no, because his, his his guide couldn't see very well either. Oh, okay. Well, and he was totally blind. So when we stopped in a panic, and we reached down and helped him up, when he came up, his first response was, "Thank God, down there was dry." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's ironic all right well you know what you know what ladies and gentlemen i think that was a great episode of aaron's opinion the podcast where we talk about issues from the blindness community from jamaica from all over the world as i like to say have a good day today a great day tomorrow thank you so much I'm Michael Mogul, and this is the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. In this podcast, we'll meet innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond. Our guests will reveal hidden insights on what it takes to achieve exponential growth year over year, how to attract your ideal clients, and how to build a world-class organization that stands the test of time. If you're ready to operate at a higher level and do what it takes to become the market-dominating leader you know you can be, you've got to be a game changer. Subscribe to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast today and get ready to take your firm to the next level. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.